Hi there, my name's Ethan McIntyre. Today, we're going to go on a journey into the world of science fiction. Thanks for joining me on this beautiful robot odyssey. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Beautiful Robot Odyssey. Today, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, a friend of mine that I've known for a very long time. Uh, my good buddy Derek is here to talk about the video game The Outer Worlds. Uh, before we get into game talk, though, uh, what's up, Derek? How's it going? It's good. It's good. Yeah. Life is good. I uh, I feel like, and trying to keep it like my uh, recap of my life in terms of like bro topics, like just like a lot of good sci-fi stuff happening right now. Yeah, it's a good time to be alive. Yeah, sci-fi wise, it's a bad time to be alive, like real life wise. Yeah, but in but, terms of science fiction. Yeah, well, and not to, like, get too much into some stuff I want to bring up in, like, the actual main episode, but, like, what a, like, that's the beauty of sci-fi, right? Like, life will go on. There is answers to our problems. There are solutions. Like, we can venture out into the stars and we can leave this shithole. Like, it's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I don't know, just, I, like, literally just, I know you did, too, just watched episode three of The Mandalorian. Yeah, that came out uh, on the day that this is being recorded. Whew. <laughs> yeah, what an episode. That was a spicy meatball. Yeah, I I felt like, uh, and this is not like a, a spoiler um, too much, but I felt like that, that scene where he's coming into the port. Yes. Uh, not only was a great scene, but also felt very Firefly. Oh, yeah. It felt like, and I know that that's not, like, you haven't seen the show, correct? Correct. I've seen the first episode of the show, and I've mm-hmm. seen the the film Serenity. Yeah, well, that that pretty much, I mean, that you get a good feel for it. Like, I thought it was, like, a perfect blend of, like, cool and interesting and gripping and then hilarious. Yeah, it felt very Firefly to me, which I really liked. So I was pretty much instantly locked into this episode. Yeah, it was it was super cool. I have become such a big like star wars expanded universe nerd over the last few years and this will be a spoiler for chapter 11 of the mandalorian if anybody has not watched it yet when this comes out but uh i must have like made a noise or done something because when like before she even took her helmet off or said her name or anything like bo-katan has a line and it was like subtitled like bo-katan says blah 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 and i must have i must have been like "Ah!" because uh (laughs) my wife like looked at me and was like are you okay (laughs) (laughs) so cool so cool (laughs) yeah yeah and so and then like being enthused by star wars has been great and i just last night played maybe 20 minutes of jedi fallen order um which i had not touched since the weekend it came out and i rented it and uh, I remember getting to a part that was very frustrating to me, and I instantly got past that part and like kept exploring a cool Jedi tunnel cave that I was in, like very much remembering why, like how much I like that game. So um, we've been putting in a lot of time soon. Very nice. So, what would you say got you like started on sci-fi? Oh, that's good. It, I mean, it was Star Wars. I would say Star Wars and Star Trek. But Star Wars probably came first, and I don't even remember not loving Star Wars. 
I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I think that's really where it started for me. And actually, I think you are pretty much the person that like introduced me to Star Trek. Mm. My parents are, well, my mom is like a big Star Trek fan, but I didn't like know that until you were talking to me about Star Trek and I like came home from school or whatever and was like, yeah, Derek was talking about Star Trek. I don't know what that is. And my mom was like, oh, it it totally rocks. And then we watched like all the movies and stuff. But Star Wars, definitely, I think I'm in I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I um I like Star Trek a lot. And, and that's like a whole other episode talking about like there's some great stuff in Star Trek. But Star Wars has Jedi. And that's that's pretty that's pretty big to me. Jedi and Sith lightsabers like that's that's a pretty huge difference yeah well that's i mean that's the thing like i talk about this a little bit in the the first episode of beautiful robot odyssey that at root i i consider star wars to be fantasy not science fiction because it's about a a wizard who gets his dad's magic sword and goes to fight like other evil wizards yeah And, like, good and evil are, like, real, literal, like, quantifiable things in the universe. (laughs) Like, um, it leans way more into fantasy tropes than science fiction tropes. At least the movies do. There's a lot of expanded universe stuff that goes harder on the sci-fi aspects. Yeah, yeah. well, and so, so yeah, love Star Wars from the beginning. And uh, my older brother was very into Star Wars and my dad was very into Star Wars. And so that was that was great for me. And then there was this this aspect of I, I grew up in, in the country in like the middle of nowhere. I didn't have my like first I didn't own a gaming system until I was in high school, uh, despite like loving video games and playing them whenever I could. We didn't have cable. Like there was just a lot of time to just be outside and stare off into space and imagine being anywhere else. And it really drew some parallels between me and and Luke, who was just this who this was this person who felt like he was destined for greater things or at least different things and just desperately wanted to leave where he was. Yeah. And and so that's that's something I, I related to. And I don't not at the time like realized that I was relating to, but that sense of like there is adventure out there. There is more to this boring, destitute life in the middle of nowhere. And then as I like eventually it took a long time, but actually explored other sci-fi and now I'm like very into like any sci-fi movies or video games, that that theme of like go go, just like take off, take a starship and fly away to a completely different planet, a fl- completely different galaxy. Like that's so exciting and it's new and it's different. And you can so instantly change your surroundings and your circumstances. And that's like a theme that I absolutely love in any sci-fi adventure that will give me that. Yeah. That's uh that's really interesting. I don't know if that we've ever we've known each other for what, like 20 years almost at this point i don't know that we've ever had just a straight conversation about like what we like about sci-fi that is a very cool take like i totally get what you mean about growing up where we grew up i mean you like we we both grew up in small communities Mm -hmm. you grew up in a smaller one than me (laughs) even and mine was already very tiny and yeah that's a that's a really good point um, I don't know if I ever like consciously thought about that aspect of it and then how it influenced my own appreciation for the genre. That's very cool. Do you have a favorite fictional robot? Wow, that is so good. I 
I like that question a lot. I grew up and for a very long time, I was definitely the person who rooted for and cheered for villains. And I think now looking back, I'm I'm just a little angsty. So like HK47 from KOTOR. Oh, yeah. Was like, I mean, you got like a mean, sassy robot that can shoot people. That's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. HK is very good. You're the first person uh, on the podcast to give that answer. So, yo, hey, good. (laughs) 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 So, we're going to talk about the outer worlds today. And, uh, outer worlds? (laughs) We. (laughs) <laughs> for even though we made that joke 800 times in the like lead up to this for a split second i was like oh god was i supposed to play the outer wilds <laughs> what i i meant to look it up and i didn't how soon after each other did those come out i mean they were months apart right yeah it was extremely close i think it was a couple months yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is so ridiculous how stuff like that happens yeah. Anyway. But yeah. Why? Uh, what made you pick this game for your topic of choice? Yeah. Well, I, I, it was a, a lot of a convenience actually, and a little bit like Star Wars is. I was trying to. I, I first started thinking about like, okay, Ethan's starting this podcast. I'm super pumped about it. I'm really excited to be on it. What what's a good starting topic though? And then Star Wars seems so big and so important. I'm not as familiar with Star Trek, even though I'm a fan. I felt like that would seemed a little too big, also. So then I started to think of some smaller things. And then I thought like Outer Worlds got some pretty good praise. It's still being touted a lot now with the new Xbox, even because they've got like the enhanced version. So it's got to be on some of its artwork and box art and stuff like that. It's getting touted a little bit more again. So. And I hadn't played it yet. I hadn't tried it out. Uh, or I guess I maybe maybe I played 15 minutes of it before when it first came onto Xbox Game Pass. So I thought, okay, perfect. Same. I think that weekend that it hit Game Pass, I I got to Edgewater, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is like the like not the starting area, but really essentially the starting area. Yeah, the first town. Yeah, first town. Yeah. And so, yeah, so anyway, um, and I thought, okay, I want to go back to that. I want to try it out. It's gotten some good praise. It looks interesting. And let's try out. And and I thought it would be fun to do something that we both weren't very familiar with. So, yeah, it was a I'm really glad that you picked it because once I actually got into it, it turns out I really like this game. Are you you are not a big Fallout guy, correct? That is absolutely correct. And I will tell all your listeners shamelessly that fallout got too spooky for me pretty much right away oh really i i'm yes right isn't that absolutely ridiculous it's the same reason i don't like i haven't played bioshock and i'm ashamed of it (laughs) it like i want to play these like beloved critically acclaimed games but like i remember playing fallout and it's just like so dark and spooky and upsetting that it just it like got to, and I'm so lonely. The fourth one, you get a dog, right? Yeah, you get companions in most of the games, I think, eventually. Yeah, but what about a dog? Do you get a dog in the third one? Uh, I think you traditionally. Yeah, I think I think you get a dog in I, three and four, I think, named dog meat. It might only be three. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I haven't played a ton of Fallout. I played a lot of three when it okay. first came out, but I'm. I didn't really play 
New Vegas or four very much. Okay. So, so no, no, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience with like the systems and the look and the feel of any of those, like any of the fallout games. Gotcha. Yeah. I was just curious because this is the same team that did new Vegas, I believe, which I, I, as I understand it is one of the more lauded fallout games. Like I said, I kind of missed that one. I was like really into fallout three when it first came out. And then, New Vegas, for whatever reason, just like completely passed me by. That's my memory must be really bad because honestly, I thought I remembered you playing that back in. I guess it would have been high school. So that's funny. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I like I rented it once and I got it started and I just never went back to it. Much like this, until you like suggested it. Maybe there's something about the way this team writes or something that like doesn't that takes a little bit to hook me. Yeah, but yeah, once once uh, I got started in this, I ended up really, really liking it. Even just character creation and the way that it handles skills, Mm -hmm. I think it's really cool. I like that they are grouped into these categories of like three or four skills and you can upgrade like the broad category up through what, like level 50. And then after that, you have to kind of individually specialize. I think that's a really smart and cool way to do it. Um, And it makes your skill investments at lower levels feel like really big. And then once you hit higher levels and like you're like, oh, now I have to actually like specialize and stuff and think about your build more. Uh, That's super cool. I'm somebody who really my preferred play style in, I guess, like Western RPGs of this nature. I, I always like to focus on like non-combat skills. Mm -hmm. I like to open up new dialogue options or be able to, you know, uh, well, you've got a really high science skill, so you can figure out how to reprogram this thing or whatever. I like things that open new narrative pathways. And so having the ability early on to just be like, oh, all the social stuff is together. Cool. Like, I, yeah, I just want to improve all of that so that I can talk to people more. And, you know, later on, I can worry about, well, do I want to be better at persuading or lying or whatever? But I'm going to have a kind of low level skill at that that will help me throughout the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. I tend to go for a more balanced build because I don't like getting myself in situations where uh, especially combat gets like really painfully hard and I keep dying. But it is frustrating when you lose out on things. But to that, to the credit of this game, my point is, is like because of this cluster system, I could spread out my points and feel pretty okay at most things. Yeah. And even though I didn't have a lot of points into like dialogue options, I was still able to select those dialogue options a lot and be successful, which always feels really good. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty generous with that stuff, at least as far in as I got. I would agree. I hadn't failed a conversation thing yet. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's I feel like it gives you a lot of latitude on that. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to kind of jump in because I to, to preface this all a little, a little bit too. like, I feel like I'm going to sound a little hypocritical and I I am just like Ethan's friend. Like, I don't have anything to my name at all. And so, like, anybody That's listening... That's not true. You are a roboticist. That's why yeah. I wanted you on the first episode. You design and build robots professionally. Oh, man, that would be cool. That would be really <laughs> awesome. 
I wish that was me. <laughs> no, I just like anybody listening. I just want to be like, hey, I'm Derek. I'm just a guy who says some things. So like, take everything I say with a grain of salt. When I say I'm going to sound hypocritical at times because I enjoyed my time with the game, but I think I'm probably not going to return to it anytime soon. Yeah, I got like I was real, real deep into it, and then Star Wars Squadrons was like half off, and I bought that. And I don't think I have launched the Outer Worlds again. Yeah. So I love the look of the game. It, it, bright colors and, and, you know, interesting stuff. But it does feel... You know what I ended up thinking was I felt like this game really felt like Fable. I agree with that. I think that's a... I hadn't drawn that comparison in my own mind. But now that you say it, I can totally see it. Yeah, obviously a ton of differences, but the towns are small and they really pretty much just have what you expect them and need them to have shops and repair stuff and maybe a few, like a few different quest things. Armor is it looks cool. I like the look of the armor, but it's very basic. It's very generic and there's not a lot of styles as far as I, as I got. Yeah, I would I would also say there's not armor was something that I thought they handled sort of weird because if I recall correctly, the armor itself, like the individual pieces are classified as like light armor and heavy armor and stuff like that. Does that do anything? Like, does that have any effect? I always just equipped whatever the highest like number was and didn't really like notice if it was doing, I know that it, I know that different armors increase different skills, but it, I I am going to not remember at this time, but I know that Heavy Armor had, like, took away some stat points on some item that I was looking at. Okay. There was some trade-off with that. But I would, generally, I would agree with you. And it, it and it looked the same. It, heavy yeah. and medium and light. It just, it all looked the same. So, yeah, you just put the heaviest thing on and you ran around. Like, you just got the higher numbers. And now let me ask you a question, Ethan. Have you ever liked repairing your armors and weapons <laughs> no that's not a system that i'm generally huge on no no because you're you're like a, a human that i like spending time with because <laughs> I, I can't that it does nothing at least and again i'm going to speak a little bit out of my butt here because i haven't played like skyrim but like Correct me if I'm wrong, you have a blacksmith skill, so at least when you're repairing and building things, you're at least building up a skill that you can use for some other thing, right? Right. In Outer, outer Worlds, you're just repairing your armor and then scrapping random armor that you find and then repairing your armor, and it's constant. It is constantly breaking and needing for repairs. It's a weirdly... It's a weird thing for them to bother with. It, it feels weird to me that that is supposed to be presumably like a point of realism, you know, like you got to repair your gear, like considering that they don't bother with that sort of trapping for anything else. Like you're, you don't have to eat. I mean, like you can eat and it can heal you or whatever, but it's not like it, it's a weird system to just like toss in there to be like, I mean, I, Obviously, like from a mechanical standpoint, yeah, it's it's just supposed to encourage like trying, you know, different gear or whatever, because this one's getting low or, or mm -hmm. you need to, you know, we need to fill up inventory slots. So like 
you're going to have to have armor repair things and stuff like that. But it's not, I don't feel like it's, it's not a system that I feel is additive in like most games that it's in. And I especially felt weird in this one. Yeah, I completely agree. And like, and you're talking about like the point of realism and you bring up food and yeah, other games do that, right? Where they have like bits of food and stuff and you can pick up a bunch of things from from houses and random apartments that you're running through and then eat them and use them. But in this game, I, I don't know. I was playing on like the, at least the second, the lowest, easiest level, just cause I was trying to play and do the story, but like they keep throwing whatever their, their like health vials are at you. Like I had so many of those. Oh that yeah. All these other foods and like alcohols that had like negative attributes were such a waste. I mean, they just were filling up my space and I stopped picking them up after a very short amount of time because they were so silly. You look at your inventory and it's like, well, I've got 50 bunch of nanners that heal like 20 health or like my 48 med stims that heal like 100 health. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think I ever used a healing item that wasn't just like the default, like map to left bumper thing. Right. Yeah. And so it, it was just th- things like that. Little, little systems here and there that felt like they were starting to do a much bigger world and a bigger game. And then it just it just ended up not being that big. And they just kept it on a smaller level, which, again, like this is just Derek, the guy saying, like, it felt a little less intriguing that way. At the same time, my hypocritical person says, like, I don't know, I'm in a place in my life where I don't want to play massive 200 hour games. And it is kind of nice to just like level up pretty quickly and progress the story pretty quickly. And the maps are almost refreshingly small. That Edgewater map is so small. I mean, you can just run across the map in no time. Yeah, I actually did. I agree. I did. I am also like at a place in my life where I'm just like, I can go over there in like two minutes. Cool. (laughs) That's good. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to beat this game in like 20 hours. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, another hypocritical point that I was thinking about a lot was was the guns, which there's not a lot to choose from. They're all pretty much the same. I mean, in terms of like, there's some variations. There's like, I found two different types of shotguns and I found like one long rifle when I was playing and I started playing and I was just kind of hopping back in and I died a bunch of times because I'm trying to take on two, like too many enemies at once or a couple like too strong. Once I got a couple okay guns and not just my basic pistol and stick that I was trying to club people with, I never had problems with combat again. I would agree with that. I feel like there is a a weird point that you hit not terribly deep into the game where combat goes from really punishing. Like there's a quest very early on in Edgewater where the vicar wants you to go find this book. And so I was going to do that. And like I had to walk past this sort of abandoned like housing complex that was full mm-hmm. of bandits and I got murdered like 800 times. Yep. Same. But then it, it's like you get the gear off of those guys and maybe like a little bit of extra gear. And it's like this switch flips where like, you know, all of a sudden I'm like on the groundbreaker and I accidentally stumbled into like a giant gang base and it's like, bam, 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 bam. They're all dead. <laughs> yeah. 
It's exactly it. I remember, again, probably exactly the same spot or just about within a few minutes. I saw some some animals and I was like, okay, animals in video games, especially RPGs, always some nice, easy XP. I just want to level up a little bit. Picked a fight with them, got murdered just almost instantly. They just like destroyed me. And then and then very quickly, it was nothing like then I just had my I had a heavy machine gun. And if the, anybody rolled up on me, it was over at that point. I just like, I got just it out and uh, and played it. So it, it started it started getting combat started getting less intriguing. And then I got a long rifle. So I was shooting people from a distance, especially with my my slowdown speed power. So it, it's yeah, combat started getting a lot less, a lot less interesting. I like that ability. It's clearly meant to evoke the VATS system from Fallout. But I, I like the the time dilation thing. Um, I don't know that it's terribly useful in like average combat situations, especially like I was my space boy. Uh, Squambus was pretty like melee focused. So there weren't like a lot of I, I was not like carefully aiming shots. <laughs> I was basically just running in and smashing people's skulls open with my spacer's choice extendable rod or whatever. Yeah. It was neat to just on occasion be like, slow down and bash. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like the power too. And it's very cool in that in that respect. But I did once I started thinking and comparing this game to Fable, a game like that I played a ton back on the original Xbox and loved, I I was thinking like, man, it would be way cooler if they had a few more powers. Yeah, yes, I agree. I I definitely do think that the mechanics of this game in terms of combat are really basic. Like, it's cool that there's some weapon modding stuff in there. I like that. Yeah, that's good. There are some interesting gun variants. Like, I I had a really weird pistol that was like almost a shotgun in terms of range. Like I had to be really close, but it oh. rapid fired like lasers in like a burst. Oh yeah, that's cool. Okay. I like that. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, like there, there's some cool variants like that and stuff, but ultimately like there's not a whole lot that it offers beyond a basic shooter. And because it is like an RPG first and foremost, like it's not a great shooter. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. fine. But it's not, and especially, I mean, like I said, I ended up focusing on melee combat, honestly, mostly just because, like, I thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I liked the idea of, narratively speaking, I liked the idea of Squambus being this very eloquent, like, well-spoken dude who in combat just turns into this, like, screaming, gibbering maniac, just like running from person to person, smashing them in the head with his big stick. But uh, it was definitely boring. <laughs> like, yeah, you have one attack animation. And then like when you hit a good enough skill in your melee thing, you get like a heavy attack. So you have two attack animations now. Ooh. Like, yeah, um, it's not super satisfying. Talking about your character, talking about your ca- character talking, what I what what were your thoughts on like not having voice lines? Oh, I was fine with that. I'm used to that from 
you know, Fallout and Skyrim and that kind of stuff. I felt I felt like it was shockingly, surprisingly to myself. I I was a I didn't like it. I was upset by it. Oh, really? Yeah, I really miss having a voice. I I feel like even nowadays we're even in Borderlands 3, my character talks a lot and has reactions to characters saying things to him or her. I I missed my character talking and saying things and adding a little bit extra dialogue. That's interesting. Yeah, I I was I was again, I was surprised by it, but but even like that I wasn't even like grunting, I wasn't able to like emote. I I felt like it removed me from the world a little bit. Gotcha. I could understand that. Yeah. That's definitely I think that's more than maybe more than anything else is definitely like a personal choice, a personal preference, but I I wish there was dialogue. Yeah. Did you how did you feel about the companions? Well, how, how far did you get, first of all? I don't think I got as far as you. I meant to, before I started recording, look at what what my time was, how many hours I'd put in, and I actually, I don't know. Um, I got to the second planet, and I recruited the third recruit, and I already, I don't remember his name, because I just, I just got him. Gotcha. The young rebel, who was so obviously going to join my crew the second he started talking. <laughs> yeah, when you t- walk I- off the ship, and he's just like, that's a very cool ship. I'm arguing with the people on like the guards on this planet. I like your ship. I'm going to go look at it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so he's joining me. Cool. I'll see him later. And I knew Pavardi was going to join us right away. Of course. Mm-hmm. I thought, I thought she was super cool. I liked her. I liked her a lot. I did too. The Vicar. I actually, I liked him a lot too. I, I was, I was actually surprised when he offered to come. I was not expecting that. Yeah. I, I also really liked Vicar Mac. I just as somebody who I feel I felt a certain kinship with a character who was like, I want to get all these cool books and like I they're forbidden, but I want them anyway. <laughs> give give yeah. me the books. <laughs> yeah, I liked. Yeah, that he was just like talking so much trash about the town. He was supposed to be the vicar over. Yeah, well, and he clearly just like hates his job, but it is like the expedient way for him to like get the things that he wants. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I really, really enjoyed those two a lot. Yeah. So the companions, the uh, so far were great. I, again, I think there's six altogether that you can recruit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, obviously I, I have not met over half of them and I, like I said, I didn't talk to rebel McGee at all. So he like that sort of like cocky rebel young guy, character is like of no interest to me so maybe he turns out to be really cool and has a nice like story arc but i had no interest <laughs> in like learning any more about him yeah i like that planet that you find him on or well i guess it's not even a planet it's a giant ship mm-hmm. i like narratively i think that that is a really interesting location i like that it's sort of positioned as this like this is the only place really that's not controlled by this big corporate consortium things are breaking down there but they're like well we can't like ask the big company that rules everywhere to help because then they'll use it as leverage to screw us over and like take away our independence and stuff i don't know i just thought that it was uh i didn't get super far after i got to that place but i thought that it was a pretty cool part of that universe Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was well. This is like rewinding quite a bit, but I am curious with Edgewater between your your big moral choice, what you cho- went with. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that too. Actually, I thought that this was an interesting like moral conundrum. I was actually so I was slightly annoyed that you could not like find at least I couldn't like a peaceful solution or like a I I get that uh, the two characters that you have to choose between essentially are like very diametrically opposed and stuff but what at least one of them i think tobson i had a dialogue option where i said like well what if we can work out like a deal that you know where i don't have to screw over either of you and he was like i'm yeah if like if you can figure that out cool but then like i couldn't and i don't know maybe if i had a crazy high dialogue skill you can but i I doubt it yeah i am i am still annoyed about the choices and how they are presented to you it does a thing that i guess narratively speaking is pretty interesting but in terms of my like satisfaction as a player i just found frustrating which was the choice as the game presents it is like i don't know it 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 wants you to hate both of them. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. I don't, I can't bring myself to hate the, not Edgewater, the other place. I can't remember what it's I called. I can't think of it either, either but yes. The, the people the, who abandoned Edgewater, basically. Yeah. The hippies. I don't, like, they did not present a strong enough case for me to not like them. Like, their whole argument is just like, well, she's blinded by her hatred of this company. But it's like, yeah, I spent the last like five hours of this game doing stuff for and around this town. And I hate this company, too. Right. <laughs> like, if I had to like live here and watch my kid die because of them. Yeah, I'd be pretty mad. And also like they're like, oh, she, you know, she's just trying to like destroy the town. Like she's just living not in the town is literally all that she's doing when you go to her and say like, Hey, this dude wants me to kill all of your power and force you to go back. And I'm going to do it because I need the thing that like, it will get me. And like, all she says is like, well, you could kill it to the town instead because we have a greenhouse here and they could come here. Yeah. She doesn't seem that bad, but the game is like, she's so like the, the thing that like, really rubbed me the wrong way was getting to the actual choice mm-hmm. you know the the point where you have to make the choice there was an option to like ask parvati what she thinks and she's like i think the right thing to do is to save edgewater because all the people there will die or whatever right yeah and it sucks but like that's the that's the right the nicer call ultimately or whatever and I don't know, I'm probably giving Parvati like more moral authority than the game intends, but everything that you've seen of her up to that point, like she seems like a very nice and moral and good person. Agreed. So her endorsement of that option felt like an endorsement from the game. Like it, it felt like the game saying this is the good action is to do it this way. Yeah, I'd agree. I felt like they needed at that point, they needed to give you two companions and they needed to give you like an HK 47 character. (laughs) They needed that like that devil on your shoulder to be like, 
well and then like present some more and new information like you're saying there there didn't seem to be enough and then you had to make this big choice right and then it felt incomplete so i went i did i saved the i saved the hippies i took the power from the town i did too yeah and and i i, I won't lie to you i i, I was going back to, i was i was avoiding going back to the town because i i thought there was going to be a big fight so i wandered around a little bit more explored a little bit more i healed up i loaded all my guns i saved i went in and there's uh what's his name the thompson the, yeah and I right almost right away I had a like a intimidate dialogue option that was like don't try anything and it was successful and then mm-hmm. he stood there silently and that was it and all these people right. just sort of ignored me and all of a sudden this big choice that I was honestly really like thinking about a lot as I was playing the game and and feeling starting to feel really bad about was nothing it didn't matter yeah it's like it raises your rip with one group and lowers it with the other or whatever like it doesn't feel like it has a super substantial i don't know maybe maybe it comes back later on or something but yeah well the worst part was i was over encumbered and the vending machines didn't have power anymore And I was unwilling to drop junk because I was like, yeah, this is worth a lot of money. So I walked very slowly across the map until I could sell my things. That was my biggest consequence. But nobody even like said anything mean to me. They were just like, oh, the factory shut down. That's a bummer. I wonder who did that. Like, it, it just <laughs> didn't feel like anything. And again, the, the town itself was so small that it, it felt like not really anything had changed. And uh, it was kind of that moment, honestly, took away a little bit from my experience of the game. I was just like, well, do my, does this matter? Will things change if I, as I make choices throughout this game? And it, it, it felt a little weak. Yeah. Well, and just, I don't, that town sucks like so bad. Like mm-hmm. the, the people like Thompson and like the company, like there's nothing good about them. <laughs> like, right. I mean, Thompson as a person seems okay. Like he doesn't, he doesn't try to betray you or screw you over or anything like that other than being like a really hardcore company man for a really terrible company. I don't know. It presents this choice of like the, the choice that it presents you with is like, okay, if you take the stuff away, the power away from the green hands, they'll have to go back to the company that they don't like. And if you take it away from Edgewater, then they die or whatever. But it's like, none of those feel it's like, I don't want to do things that will support this company because they're terrible and made life for all of the people on this planet terrible. Yeah, exactly. That feels like the crueler option, regardless of whether or not the people in Edgewater will suffer for it. Like, I don't have anything. I was about to say I don't have anything against those people, but even that's not true. Like, as you walk through that town, it's like, oh, well, everyone's dying of plague. Right. And they won't give anybody medicine. Yeah. And the only way to get medicine is to work yourself to death. Like, these are garbage people anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel bad for them. I think it, it could have been, it could have been with just a little bit more work. You could have really turned Thompson, to, but no, not Thompson, Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. He could have been a really cool, like, Lando character. Uh, oh, like, that would have been interesting. You know, he's under, he's this top guy and he has to listen to this big, corporate overlords but he's secretly trying to help out his people yeah that would have been so much more compelling and interesting it would have been way more interesting and it could have led to what i was talking about earlier like 
going down a much harder path to get an equitable solution for both sides. Yeah. If he was sympathetic in that way. And like, if, cause after I talked to the greenhouse lady and she was like, Oh yeah, he made my kid die because he wouldn't give me medicine, even though we had medicine or whatever. Like, and I went back and talked to Thompson. Cause I was like, well, maybe I can, if I talk to everybody or whatever, like I have new information, maybe I can figure something out. And Thompson is just like, Oh, well, yeah, that's what we do is we let people die. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I mean, sorry. Like I, I'm not happy that he died, but like it was my job to let him die. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, right. Like that sucks very bad. And like, it would have been way more interesting if he had been like broken up about it or mm-hmm. like been like, yeah, I get it. Like I get that. That's what drove her away. And like, I shouldn't have done it. And like, Blah, blah, blah. Like if there had been if he had had any reaction to it and like you could have maybe undergone some different thing where like you, you know, brokered peace talks between the two of them or something like and and he tried in some way to atone and she, you know, yeah. helped get Edgewater out from under the thumb of this corporation that he maybe could have secretly resented or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. That would have been a lot more compelling. <laughs> a lot more compelling. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. So, switching gears a little bit, did you get any um did you get any phobias? Any negative attributes? I did not. Oh, you didn't? Okay. So I was um I only knew about the system because I absolutely am obsessed with achievements. So I looked through the whole achievement list, of course. And uh there's an achievement for getting like uh three phobias, three negative things. And so I was like, oh, what's that? So I looked it up and it's a system that if you mess up things too often, like you can get a permanent like negative status. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's a that's a neat system. And what takes away from it a little bit is it it's a choice. It's a trade off. But I also get that because the game doesn't want to be too punishing or too mean. Because like like we've been saying, it's it's definitely an, a game that feels like it's a little bit on easy mode. So the first one I got was I wish I'd written down the names, but it was like a fear of falling because I kept jumping off cliffs because I <laughs> kept forgetting about fall damage. So um, I didn't kill myself too many times, too many times, but I would just jump off and take a little bit of fall damage. And so one time I did that, I jumped off and it said all right, well, you're going to feel, you're going to have some negative stat bonuses when you're up high. But if you take this, you'll get a skill point. And so I was like, yeah, all right, cool. That's fun. I'll take that. So I nabbed that one. And then later, this one I didn't like as much. You fight a bunch of robots. And at one point after a fight with the robots, it jumped up and it said that I had robia, robophobia from being in <laughs> fights with too many robots, which was doubly funny because as I was playing, I was watching Iron Blooded Orphans. So I was there was a lot of robots <laughs> in my life. And maybe I did actually was a little bit afraid of robots at that point. <laughs> but it was the same thing. Like I would do less well in combat against robots, but I got a stat point. And mainly that one I wasn't going to take except that it's an achievement. So I went ahead and nabbed that one also. Um, but <laughs> I think it's a really cheeky and fun system for like an RPG especially. Yeah, that's very cool. I said earlier that I hated everybody in Edgewater. That is actually not entirely true. There is a character there that I, again, felt kind of let down by the narrative. Mm. And that's I'm probably being too hard on the writing here because it honestly, this is probably 
this is probably a, a testament to good writing in the game, but it hit me in a kind of a negative way, which is uh, the bartender in Edgewater. If you talk to her, she is like, you can talk about her past a little bit. And mm. she talks about how she like wanted to be an engineer or something like that, or a scientist, but she had to give up on that dream because like the company didn't have openings for that or something like the the company was preventing her from doing that somehow and you can like encourage her to get invested in that again and she is like no like stop it like don't tempt me with that like i have i know what my lot in life is and it's to be here in edgewater and i don't give me dreams or whatever because mm-hmm. uh, like it, it just makes it more painful. And I like I felt really bad for this person and like really connected with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally missed this. I didn't talk to the bartender at all. And I just really like because most of the other people that you talk to are just like living in corporate town. You know, like, or like, <laughs> I've got the plague and they won't give me my dang medicine. But she has this whole, like, fleshed out backstory of, like, her sad past of having to, like, give up on her lifelong dream and stuff. And I was like, I want to take you away from here. <laughs> like, yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. And, and that's that's beautiful. And that is good writing. That's cool and interesting and, and unexpected. And I love that. But in a slightly bigger game, a slightly more complex game, I'm thinking like divinity Two, like you would be able to go to the hippie camp and be like hey i found this person that like really wants to be an engineer do you need help with that with like your watering system for your plants and they'd right. be like totally send them all over and you'd be able right. to go back and get her out of that town and get her a job that would be amazing that would feel so good yeah i really i was really disappointed that there was no like I couldn't make her a companion or at least do a side quest that helped her. Like Mm -hmm. that was a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. The literally the only time I talked to the bartender was after I came back and I had turned off their power and I was over, uh, over encumbered and I was trying to sell things to her (laughs) (laughs) and she's like, yeah, I can get you water, warm water. Like (laughs) (laughs) she's just pretty down. I made her life harder and worse. And then I left the planet in my spaceship. <laughs> I did like speaking. Of, we haven't really talked about the spaceship, the unreliable Great ship. Yes, really like the ship. I love Ada, the like the onboard computer AI thing. And I, like I, well, I just I don't know the whole thing. I I really like the gag that opens the game essentially, where your landing pod, your escape pod thing that you are fired out of space in like lands on the smuggler guy that's supposed to pick you up and kills him and just like a free ship i guess yeah it feels very futurama like i guess we're the new crew it does it feels extremely futurama especially considering the scientist guy that rescues you like feels farnsworthy oh absolutely yeah yeah it, it feels hardcore futurama and yeah that's a really fun gag and then when you actually get to the ship, <clears throat> I love that the AI is just like, oh, he's dead. All right. Well, I'm programmed to only fly for Captain Hawthorne. So I guess you're Captain Hawthorne. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, 
I'm very into that. That is that's a great gag. I I had remembered hearing reviews that the game was funny, and I it, it is funny. There's there's a lot of silly characters. I mean, it's mostly silly characters and silly things happening. So it's pretty good. It has this weird. That's honestly probably my favorite thing about it, and the thing that like kept me really invested for the time that I played was the tone because it strikes this really interesting balance of like very funny and weird and off the wall and also just really actually bleak and upsetting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It combines that in a way that I, you don't see in a lot of media. I feel like the thing that it most immediately reminded me was borderlands because mm. both of those are very like corporations are bad and corrupt, but they rule everything. Like it's it's almost like a cyberpunk esque, you know, big mega corporations ruling the world and stuff like that. But they they both really heavily lean into that. Yeah, the corporations are the bad guys, and they're big and just care about making money, and they will abuse their workers and stuff. Borderlands plays that really really slapstick like 90 percent of the time mm -hmm. whereas this is like it's it's funny up until the point that like you you know get to the plague house in edgewater and they're like oh yeah we have to work for medicine like everybody just works until they die because otherwise they'll die of sickness <laughs> like yeah. Oh, like, yeah, if you cut off power to Edgewater, like they're all going to die because it's not worth the like investment for the corporation to like actually send help because they won't like recoup their monetary loss. Like it's all it's all fun and wacky when they're like Spacer's choice. It's not the best choice. It's Spacer's choice. Like, <laughs> like I'm like legally prohibited from using another weapon or something like that. Like that's all goofy and fun. And then you like, you hit a point where it's just like, Oh, well, if I, you know, I got trapped in this cave because if I had shot at the bandit, then like I would have gone over my monthly ammo allowance and they would have docked my pay. So I like, wouldn't be able to buy food for my daughter. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just really just gets like a hardcore dark sometimes. Yeah. Well, and like talk about space for choice in relation to everything you're saying, which I 100% agree with. I, I, I've heard a critique before about how now as, as long as Fallout's been around, this Pip-Boy character start out as like a critique of some of the similar things and is now a parody of itself. And you can buy <laughs> Pip-Boy pot figures and, and clothes and all just all, anything that you would want. There's like a, a Pip-Boy version of it. And it's become this like parody of itself. And then it's making a bunch of money and then you're giving money to for plastic pieces of trash, like, <laughs> and it's, and it's ridiculous. And so what's nice about outer outer worlds is that it's its own thing. And so like spacer's choice can be what it's designed to be, which is just like this ridiculous parody, this ridiculous, like laughing at, yeah, we're spending money for these like tools of death and it doesn't benefit us or anyone around us and it doesn't matter to the mega corporations so yeah yeah go ahead kill yourselves die like whatever it's fine have fun out there because if you cost us too much money you just like don't exist anymore we don't care yeah it's it's a it's a little it's a little too close to home these days that's funny 
That's a very weird had about with the, the fallout. I almost called him the fallout boy. Yeah, right. Um, that'd, vault, be, that'd be just as good. The vault, vault boy or whatever. It's a very Gundam problem in that like a huge part of the narrative of the original movie and uh, like the rest of the Universal Century setting that that kicked off is that like pollution has you know, like ruined the planet or whatever. The whole reason there are space colonies that get into a war with Earth is because like humanity had to leave Earth because they had ruined its environment like so bad. So it is it's really like really pro-environmentalism Gundam as a franchise is. But the main way that it exists is by selling just tons and tons and tons of plastic model kits. Like, that's where all of its money is, is just selling plastic model kits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta keep the lights on, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do I do prefer my Star Wars or my sci-fi a little bit more Star Wars where, like, evil will be vanquished. And then I don't have to worry about problems like famine and trash. Like, that's are just irrelevant to the, to the bigger the bigger story of, like fighting like nobody cared about the trash in the trash compactor right i didn't need to worry about that that's just where the scary monster lived and then they got out of the scary monster layer and everything was fine so that's i like my sci-fi where it's a little bit more fantasy like um as you were pointing out with star wars hey real talk this is this is probably has a canonical answer is the dianoga the dianoga's gotta be there on purpose right is it supposed to eat the trash? Like, it's gotta... Because how would it get there if it wasn't there on... Now, see, I didn't even know... This This is why you know your Star Wars is so far beyond mine, my, your Star Wars knowledge. Uh, I did not know the creature's name. Now, are they traditionally that big? I'm kind of imagining, like, a, a team of stormtroopers get back from a planet, right? And, like, uh, a stormtrooper, like, is, like, cleaning up his armor, and he looks at his boot, and there's this, like little tiny red gross thing on here and he can't get it peeled off so he throws the boot down the, the trash compactor and then it does start eating trash and growing to this huge size but nobody knows that it lives there hmm i suppose i guess i that's true i don't know what like a dianoga egg is like or whatever like maybe they do have like a because i just it's a space station like it'd be so hard to it's not like it could just like you know float in one day like no no it had to be put in there but like it, the walls, I mean, it does compact. Like we saw that it it collapses trash into a cube and then probably spits a cube out in the space, right? So like I don't think they purposely put a living creature in there because yeah, what's the point? Yeah, that's true. Weird. Maybe like Dianoga egg is a food, and mm. they didn't like cook one all the way or something. Yeah, yeah, I could absolutely see that. Or. This is almost certainly not the case, but it would have been smart. Maybe it's like a fungus monster, you know, like maybe mm. it grew there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, again, like if it could, we didn't see actually where the walls ended. If it could like sort of lead into the fungus thing, if it can conform and change size, maybe it really does live in there and like it flattens itself out and then the trash leaves and it stays in there. But I, I don't know. the The amount of liquid in there is does make me think that maybe it was on purpose. Yeah, it's a somewhat disturbing amount of liquid. It's a lot if it's of liquid. Not 
supposed to house a weird underwater monster thing. Right, like, you're going to throw out your Gatorades and your, like, half cartons of, like, juice and milk after your Stormtrooper lunch. Like, I get that, but that's a lot. Maybe it's just, have you ever seen the movie Creep Show? No, I mean, I know of it, but I haven't seen it. One of the shorts is about, it's called The Crate, and it's like this crate has been sitting in this university for, like, a century or something, and, like, it just kind of got, like, lost and forgotten back there. And then eventually, like, somebody opens it, and there's, like, a weird Yeti monster that's, like, immortal, and it's, like, still alive in the crate, and it starts killing people or whatever. Sure, sure, sure. So maybe something like that happened, where just, like, somebody accidentally brought, like, a box of Dianoga onto the Death Star, and then it just, like, kind of got tossed out, and they weren't paying attention. Absolutely. Okay, the propaganda on Coruscant, at least, I think this is canon, is that they called it a science station. Am I correct? Probably. I don't know. I feel I wish I could cite that, but I'm pretty sure in some lore sometime, maybe it's non-canon now, maybe it's EU, but was like it was a it was it was a science station. So if they had a propaganda day where they were taking pictures and videos and stuff like that of like a science room. Right. And then maybe that's what the trash compactor is. It was like the stage science room with his like Dianoga in a in a in a beaker. (laughs) <laughs> and then as soon as all the, the the press left, they just like trashed the room and that then they started throwing their trash into it. And that was the uh that's the trash compactor now. I sort of like the idea that somehow, like no one is really sure how it happened, but there is like an ecosystem developing on the Death Star just because of like it's so big that it somehow like animals are, are just getting there. You know, oh, you're like yeah. Oh, you know, like we can't use the mess hall, on, you know, sub level 37 anymore. Wampa took up Shaq in there. Like, that's a cool. I like the idea of kind of taking from uh, from Rise of Skywalker, right? Where it's like maybe the Death Star doesn't blow up the first one. It just gets like mostly it gets like wrecked enough and the engines are destroyed and like crashes into a planet. And then the planet starts like enveloping the Death Star into it. So it is infested with like animals and it does develop its ecosystem. Like, that would be really oh, cool be to explore. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be... I would like that a lot. Well, we got a little bit off topic there. Um, <laughs> did you have anything... Any really. other thoughts on uh, The Outer Worlds? That was my That was my main notes. I uh, I was thinking, along with Fable, Fable was such a, a big a big deal to me at the time. Um, and it was such a, a strong introduction into... Like, you and I... You and my RPG histories and, like the ones we grew up with are very different and you do when a lot more you you have experience with a lot more like longer and complex rpgs but fable for me was like that was a big deal like before mass effect like that was the game i had played through the most as an rpg anyway i'm, I'm talking too much about that my point is is that i enjoyed it so much i was thinking like if i had kids that i was introducing to video games i think i would want them to play outer worlds pretty early on because it feels there's dialogue and there's choices and there's things that you have to think about and do. And there's some inventory management and there, you have to there's skills management and things like that. I feel like it's a really awesome introductory game. And to me, it just now at this age, at this point, it feels a little basic, but I feel like it could hit somebody like really right early on in their gaming history and feel really big and really cool. 
I think that's a really good point. I think if you are some more linear stuff or stuff with not so many RPG elements, which I guess is kind of an increasing rarity these days. True. I, I think that it is because I think the mechanics that it has, it does pretty well. It's just mm-hmm. it doesn't have there's not a lot of depth to them. But right. I agree. I think I think if it hit you at the right point in your gaming career, like the the writing is interesting enough to like keep you going and, and stuff like that and exploring the different worlds and that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be a really game for for an audience that is not used to the conventions of the genre. Yeah, but that's kind of my last thoughts. I, I overall, it's a good game. It's it's fun. It's colorful. It's bright. I agree. Uh, it's it's got really it's got good stuff to it. And I and again, with all games on Game Pass, try it out. I mean, just yeah, just download it and see if it hooks you. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But like, just download it. I mean, my goodness, what a value. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent agree. All right. Well, thank you for coming and talking about this i had a super good time i'm really glad that this is what you picked i feel like it there was there was a lot of meat on them bones in terms of discussion yeah i agree uh i had an absolute blast i was like i've been looking forward to this for since you invited me on and uh yeah it was somehow even more fun than i was expecting it and i was already i had high hopes already so thank you yeah we'll definitely have to do this again i would i would love to have you back yeah absolutely Groovy. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, thanks again to Derek for coming on. Yeah, I guess that pretty much wraps it up. I'm not 100% sure what the next episode is going to be yet. I have a couple different recording sessions lined up. I'm just not sure as far as release order. But yeah, check back in two weeks because I'm sure I'll be talking about something and it'll probably have robots. So I've been Ethan McIntyre. Credit again for my cover art goes to Jennifer Brown. That's at OG Jenny B on Twitter. And my uh, intro music is Weirder Stuff by Geographer. Thank you to those fine folks. And I'll talk to you all again in a couple weeks.